Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Down the Line. I'm Brevin Hunda alongside Kyle Betts. It's December 10th. It's about 10.45 as we're recording this here on the West Coast. How are you doing, Kyle? Doing well. We got a lot to talk about. It's, uh, like you mentioned, December 10th here, and uh, it's, you know, really weird coming up on Christmas. You're kind of flew by, especially the second half. At least it felt like to me. Mm-hmm. Speaking of weird we had some rain here in southern california over the last couple of days it's felt weird and also in southern california who's with us he is a former sports editor of the daily aztec we got abraham joining us how's it going aj hey i'm doing great thanks for having me we got plenty in store to talk about we're gonna talk some baseball we're gonna finally take a look at the hall of fame ballot from the bbwaa we're going to get into some college football the cfp has been announced college football playoff we're going to talk uh we're going to talk some assets we're going to talk matt ariza winning the ray guy award yesterday we're going to talk some nfl it's week 14 of the nfl season which means it's the final regular season week of fantasy football for a lot of people, and we're include talking some other sports, some records, as well as some comebacks um, here in the world of sports. So let's get right into it. We're talking some baseball, and even though we're in a lockout, we're I think we're in day number eight, whatever. We're going to be saying that as we get into January and possibly February, but there are still other things around the game that are still going on. Um, teams can still hire coaches, which is going on between the New York Mets and the Oakland A's. You see minor league moves being made. The minor league Rule 5 draft took place earlier this week, and it's just no communication between teams and major league players. And AJ, we haven't, we've talked about this last week on our show, and AJ wasn't here with us, but AJ, what are your thoughts on the lockout? Well, I think that my well hopefully first of all it gets resolved and i think it probably will um and really it's a good thing that it's happening now and not like in the season um which i think is kind of the reason that it's happening you know in the first place is to prevent a strike you know within the season um but i think my um my long-standing memory of it will just be the players um, kind of making fun of the league, uh, how the league uh, took off their pictures on the website, and the players in response have all gone on, or many of them have gone on Twitter and made their profile pictures just a blank head. It, it all just seems kind of petty and, I don't know, but kind, kind of fun too. It's one of the unique things to this lockout, something we haven't seen in this sport for the first time in 26 years since the 95 lockout 1994 during the winter after that strike ended the season no world series tony Gwynn couldn't get the chance to get to 400 that season and it's one of the things that will we will be keeping an eye out this winter and into january and february is how long does lockout last what deals will be made but until then there's still other baseball things, yearly baseball events to take place. And that is, uh, I will segue into our next segment of Fair or Foul. And we are taking a look at the 2022 Baseball Writers of America Association Hall of Fame ballot. This was uh, unveiled, I think, three weeks ago now. And you need 75% to be inducted and 5% of the minimum to stay on the ballot for the next uh, next year's ballot in 2020. 
three. And when you look at this ballot, it's Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens' final year, in addition to Kurt Schilling. It's also Alexander Alex Rodriguez and David Ortiz's first year. And Kyle, when you look at this ballot, you think about those four. What do you think about those four, especially now we get the PED with not just Bonds and Clemens, but with A-Rod and Ortiz? Yeah, A-Rod and Ortiz, you know, wouldn't surprise me if they get in, you know, um, this year, if not, you know, in the next couple of years to follow, obviously, storied careers from them. And then you get the PED debate. I mean, I, I'm usually on the side of, um, you know, Bonds and Clemens in this case, where, I mean, a lot of people did PEDs back in the day. So ultimately, I don't think it matters that much. They they just, you know, um, Barry Bonds was one of the most incredible hitters of all time. And there's, there's no doubt about that. Um, PEDs or not, I feel like, you know, you could even consider that. But I mean, you said it, a lot of names in here that uh, deserve to get in. Um, Billy Wagner, I mean, seventh year on the ballot and um, 46% vote um, in 2021. Um, I think he is the next closer to get in, uh, to be honest here. And there's a lot of names that um, are, you know, um, able to be selected this year that definitely could. I mean, um, a lot of the first year players that we can get into, um, Ryan Howard just really stands out to me as one of those. Jimmy Rollins, obviously. And, um, I mean, Brevin, you, you talk about that um, kind of competition with Rollins and, like, Omar Vizquel. That one's pretty um, notable, I would say, as well. It, it's kind of one of those underrated subjects this year just because of because of the PED debate between Bonds, Clemens, A-Rod, Ortiz. You can put Gary yeah. Sheffield, that mix, Manny Ramirez, Sammy Sosa as well, but you know when you look at Jimmy Rollins and Omar Vizquel, a lot of their numbers are pretty comparable. I mean, Jimmy Rollins, you know, both of them were had over 900 RBIs. They hit around 270. Um, you know, the only I think the only difference between Omar Vizquel, obviously Omar Vizquel played seven more years than Jimmy Rollins, played 24 seasons compared to Jimmy Rollins at 17. Omar Vizquel, he was more of a defensive player than the offensive weapon that you see among shortstops compared to like a Cal Ripken or a Derek Jeter when it comes to shortstops. Um, but Omar Vizquel, 11 gold gloves just compared to Jimmy Rollins' four. But you think about yeah. Jimmy Rollins. He's got the, he's got an MVP. He's won a World Series, that 2008 World Series against the Rays. He's won a Silver Slugger. Um, and he has two point. He's got two more points higher in the war category compared to Vizquel, and that was in seven years com less compared to Omar Vizquel. Um, over 400 stolen bases between uh, amongst the two for both of them, over 1,400 runs. So it's pretty neck and neck when you think about it. It's just how much do you value Jimmy Rollins' power compared to Omar Vizquel's glove? Yeah, most definitely. And AJ, you go over some of these names. I mean, who do you think gets in this year? Well, I think it's really interesting because you would think that Alex Rodriguez and David Ortiz would kind of be slam dunks. But at the same yeah. time, the precedent, the precedent has been set that if you're a PED user, um, you're not necessarily going to get in. Because like you said, right. Barry Bonds is like the most dominant hitter of all time and it's it's really not even close if you just look at like the raw stats um 
And so can they get in and Barry Bonds can't? I don't really think so. I mean, A-Rod has done a lot of like rehab on his image, obviously going um, and becoming a broadcaster and just becoming more likable in general. But I think people are maybe forgetting or maybe they haven't that he was like the Lance Armstrong of PED users. Yeah. Like this dude got caught like multiple times. He apologized, lied, did it again. Like it wasn't like a one-time thing. Um, he's He was like the face. I mean, his nickname was A-Royd. Yeah. Um, he like he is he is PEDs incarnate and so if you let this guy in the hall of fame especially the first year and you're like no Barry Bonds um it just it doesn't even make any sense like that would just it would it would kind of invalidate the whole thing so but I agree with you I think both of them should be in I think it shouldn't be an issue but if if he does make it in it just really won't make any sense given how they have been doing and then um people like Sammy Sosa the thing with Sammy is that he like went beyond like he got caught with like a corked bat. He was using PEDs. Like this guy like went out of his way to cheat. And so it's tough to, I think it's tough to put someone like that in that just cheated in so many, in so many different ways. And then just became kind of this pariah in general, um, even within the Cubs organization. So I don't know. It's weird. It's sketchy. It's shady. It sucks. Cause all these players are hall of famers. Um, but obviously it, it, that's not all that, that you know matters in the minds of the voters and maybe maybe it shouldn't i don't know yeah it will be interesting to see what the voters do you bring up a good point in that is there a sort of level of consistency if they let a-rod and and ortiz in i mean brevin what do you think about that yeah i think that's going to be you know i think that's what all the voters are thinking about you know, now we get a couple of names that could be in you know bonds and you know, a-rod and you know, you think about David Ortiz, that's two guys that possibly could hurt someone else and possibly making that jump for getting in. It could hurt maybe it could hurt a Todd Helton or it could hurt a Scott Rowland, for example. And because of, of how good, he, especially when you think about David Ortiz, what he was able to do, you know, 2004 down 03 in that ALCS against the Yankees, hits that walk off homer and route to winning the ALCS, winning the that World Series that year, breaking that curse of 86 years of not winning the World Series. You think about, you know, what he did in 2013 after the marathon bombings and for him to lead that team to win that World Series that year as well helped fuel that. And I think that postseason, postseason gives you extra credit, I feel like. And a lot of writers say that is, and you think about what, uh, David Ortiz was able to do in the postseason that boosts his um, numbers a lot more compared to A-Rod in that sense. Definitely. And, I mean, yeah, you already mentioned Sammy Sosa, Gary Sheffield, but um, Kurt Schilling, his final year here as well, and um, a couple other first-year players on the spot that are notable, um, Mark Deshera, Jonathan Papelbon, Joe Nathan, Prince Fielder. Um, definitely will be interesting to see who gets in this year, um, especially with a lot of these guys in their last year of eligibility. Mm-hmm. Think about Sammy Sosa. He's in his final year. Kurt Schilling's a difficult one, I would say, just because, you know, when you see a lot of players reach 71%, they most of the time they get in. We saw that last year with uh, – or two years ago now. We saw that with Edgar Martinez. And so it would be tough to see um, – where it takes. It's going to be hard for Barry Bonds and Marge Clemens to jump 14% from last year. I could see 
Scott Rowland making a jump. No, maybe in two years he gets in, but if Scott Rowland can make a jump, he'll set himself up for 2023 to be inducted. I don't, I don't think, if I can jump in, I don't think there's any way that Kurt Schilling makes it into the Hall of Fame, if only because no one wants to hear this guy give a speech. <laughs> Seriously, like, he goes beyond, he's not only a cheater, but, but he's like a, I mean, he's, he, uh, he, he is what he is, but, but yeah, I, I, I don't see it. <laughs> I think it's possible. I mean, the Bloody Sock in Yankee Stadium, ALCS game, it was game six. That season, um, you know, the World Series with the Diamondbacks over the Yankees. Um, there's moments that he had. There were some good years they had in Philly even when the team wasn't that good. Um, so there's optimistic that Kurt Schilling could get in, but then even last year after saying he wanted to take his name off the ballot doesn't help his chances either. So I think it goes either way when you think about it. Kyle, who do you see possibly um, – making this jump or either making a big jump or possibly getting in this year? I don't know. It's tough to say. I definitely want to see Gary Sheffield get in. You know, I think he's, he's been sensational throughout his career, what he was able to do. Um, Obviously I think his son is now in the league too. So it's really cool to see um, as well. But I mean, yeah, his, his stats are pretty much just, just off the charts. I mean, his career, 500 home runs, obviously. Um, He had over 1,600 RBIs. Um, Obviously, just a really good throw on the bases as well. I mean, with um, 250-plus stolen bases, too. So that's a name I really want to see get in. I think he's definitely worthy of it. Mm -hmm. I think it's so tough. I think the thing about Gary Sheffield is I think he played on possibly too many teams. He jumped around with so many organizations. That might be a factor. I mean, I'm, he might have been a name that was also linked to PEDs. I think it's difficult, I think, between him and I think Fred McGriff, both of those two that weren't in the Hall of Fame. Fred McGriff was, I think, seven home runs away from getting into the Hall of Fame. So possibly you could see him on a veterans, a veterans committee ballot in a few years. But I think that's one name I'd like to see get in the Hall of Fame would be Gary Sheffield. If he can... Gary Sheffield made 40.6% of the vote last year. If he can make, yeah, he's got to make up 35% in two years. So that'd be a tougher jump, but we've seen other players make that jump. So Larry Walker make that jump just about um, a couple of years ago. Yeah. And I think um, he actually made a big jump to get to that 40% kind of threshold mm-hmm. too. So we'll see if that, I guess, kind of support from the voters continues uh, this mm-hmm. year. Yeah. All right. We are going to move on now. We're going to talk some college football, and we got plenty of games on. We actually have one game on top this weekend compared to weekends past. Conference championship weekend is over. We got it's just Army and Navy this weekend. But when you look at the college football playoff, the top four seeds have been unveiled. Kyle and AJ, you think about Alabama jumped up to number one after beating Clemson in the ACC or the SEC championship game. Michigan at number two after winning the Big Ten title. You got Georgia at number three and Cincinnati at number four. And AJ, when you look at this, these top four teams, what are your reactions to seeing, for example, Alabama jump Michigan to take that number one spot? I mean, I think it's 
it's a, there's, I mean, there's a lot of reasons I think why the teams are um, given the final um, rankings that they are. I think in this case, they didn't want Alabama and Georgia to play again in the semifinals. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that is necessarily a bad thing because I think that Alabama is as deserving as Michigan to be number one. Um, would they have jumped them had it not, uh, you know, had it not been done to avoid a match with Georgia? Maybe not, but I think it's kind of neither here nor there. Um, I think it's, I think it's probably in the best interest of uh, just, uh, just entertainment value, quite frankly. I know that some people are saying like, oh, they're setting it up so that it's an all SEC final, but I mean, if, if that's the case, that's the case. I mean, at least it's not, um, you know, just a rematch of a game from a week before. I think if anything, that's that would be even more, uh, you know, less entertaining. Plus, it'll be cool to see Alabama play Cincinnati because Alabama is the the big dog, and um, I don't know. I think that's kind of a a, a more compelling matchup uh, to see if Cincinnati can take down Alabama than if they were to take down, say, a you know, a Big Ten team like Michigan. Mm-hmm. Kyle, when you look at a team like Cincinnati and being that first group of five team to make the college football. What does it say for emerging group of five teams? You think about possibly San Diego State, you think about Houston in that same conference. Um, what does it mean that Cincinnati breaks breaks that void for the first time? Yeah, I think it's big. And, you know, ever since they got into that four spot, uh, and, and, you know, especially in the past month, I think that, you know, the top four has all been pretty straightforward, all pretty self-explanatory. We kind of had an idea who would get in as long as, you know, teams got the job done. And um, you see Cincinnati doing that with, at, with you know, number four and um, what are they, 12-0 and 0 or 13-0, and 0, whatever it is. And, yeah, it just, it just proves that it can be possible, it can be done. But at the same time, if any other group of five schools is going to do it, now they know there's a precedent to get there, and that's you have to be undefeated in order to get to that top four spot. Mm-hmm. And so you think about the teams that Cincinnati defeated this year, you think about beating Notre Dame and Notre Dame, we just finished outside the top four at number five. You think about um, playing, uh, beating Indiana Big 12 school that was um, in the top, in the top 25 earlier this season. Um, you know, Ohio State finished at number six. So you think about, you know, as well as the scheduling that you have to do um, in order to reach that top. And the Aztecs, they finished at number 24 in the final college football playoff rankings. And their puncher and kicker, who's a junior, and Matt Ariza was named the Ray Guy Award recipient. This was last night. He's the first Aztec student, Aztec football student athlete to receive a major national honor. He has also received Walter Camp all-American first-team honors, and Cameron Thomas, defensive lineman, was named second-team honors. And, AJ, what does it mean that Matt Ariza gets to be named the first Aztec football player to receive a national honor? I mean, it means he was overwhelmingly deserving of it because for them to give any award to, um, you know, a school outside of the Power Five, they – don't want to do um so, so it is kind of annoying in, in a sense um you say he's the first one to receive a national honor and that's it, that's ridiculous there's been so many players that have been so deserving of national honors but again it just it just shows how dominant this guy was that they 
they literally could not not give it to him. And yeah, it wouldn't have made any sense not to. So that is really cool um, on the positive side. It is it is really cool to finally get that recognition. And maybe this could be something going forward that will kind of open the floodgates to, you know, getting more recognition that, you know, we, we kind of have been deserving. And not just us, but other players from other um, and student athletes from a group of five schools as well. Thinking about those 80-yard punts that he had, averaging over 51 yards per punt. Kyle, what does it mean that matter out of you think about all the players that have come through this program? You think about Marshall Falk, Rashad Penny, think about how good the running backs have been, Donald Pumphrey, that it's a puncher that gets the as that gets SDSU its first major national honor. Yeah, it's big. I remember when John Barron was done at San Diego State and Arizona kind of came in and I mean, it's really made a great impression as a kicker. And this season, I mean, it's crazy. He was a punter for the first time this season, and look at what he did. And I don't think the Aztecs win 11 games without him at all, just because of their offense, um, the struggles that they had. Um, the way he was able to play the field was just sensational, and he already talked about his 80-yard punts. Um, I mean, just seeing him kick the ball in person was crazy. I mean, I've never seen – anyone kick a football like that so um for him to get that honor is definitely deserving of it obviously I think we can all agree on that and you know it'd be great to see him get drafted I think he's you know could definitely be a fifth sixth round pick if it came down to it we've seen a lot of kickers and punters taken early especially I think in the last draft we had a punter taken in like what round three or two I don't know something like that um so um He'll definitely get drafted, happy for him. And then hopefully Cam Thomas, too, because he's got a great motor on the D-line. And you already mentioned he was a second-team All-American, I think. So, um, yeah, they had a good season. And uh, Matt Arizona was definitely a big part of it. The Aztecs, they take on the University of Texas San Antonio Roadrunners in the, in the Frisco Bowl coming up in next weekend. We'll go over some of these bowl games coming up next week week um but when we go back throwing it back to the college football playoff um alabama they take on cincinnati both these games are on new year's eve and when you think about um first game we'll get to um you think about uh, pulling it up now so alabama uh taking on cincinnati in the cotton bowl uh the cfp semis uh alabama's right now 13 and a half point favorites who do you see possibly um, taking this game? Um, it should be Bama, obviously, just because of the sheer talent they have compared to Cincinnati um, with all those four and five stars they have. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if Cincinnati can keep it closer. I definitely think they can. They got a good coaching staff. Their offense can get the job done. Um, some stars on defense, too. But, yeah, I mean, 13 and a half, that is – that is a lot, but I mean, if, if it's Alabama, you know, in a college football playoff game, I mean, you, you can't really doubt them being able to do that. So, or cover that. So um, I'll take Bama and I think a 14 point win is definitely doable for them. AJ, what do you think? Um, I agree with you. There's uh, that's, that's too small of a spread realistically. Yeah. Like if you, if you put it in context, I believe that, and obviously this was last season, but I don't think any team came within 14 points of Alabama all last season. And I, I don't, 
have it in front of me, but I'm pretty sure not many teams came within 14 points of Alabama this this season. Yeah. So to get a 13 and a half point spread feels like easy money. And I, and I, and the only, I don't like saying that because this game is so important because if Cincinnati doesn't keep it close, then I think that the, um, the aftershock effect of that is it'll just going forward, it's going to validate everyone's claims that, you know, a non-Power 5 school shouldn't be in it regardless. So yeah. if, they get, if they get beat by 35 points, um, you know, it's going to be hard to ever put another, because these games are worth a lot of money. Like everything yeah. is up to these games. And so to have a, if, they, if it's a stinker, then that is just, it's, it's bad news. And it's just going to add more fuel to the fire, but it could absolutely be a 35 point game. I mean, I'm sorry, this is not Boise state versus Oklahoma. This is like a different Alabama is a different class. Georgia is, they just beat up a Georgia team. That's really, really good. Cincinnati just beat Houston to make it in. Like, I'm sorry. I know they beat Notre Dame, but I mean, I think they're, they're more likely to lose by 28 than to cover a 13 and a half point spread. Yeah. So I'll, I'll take Alabama as well. With that said, I hope I'm wrong. I hope they, I hope they win or I hope they lose by three. Um, I hope it's a great game, but I mean, if I'm, if I'm putting money, I'm not, I'm not putting money on, on anyone but Alabama. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was looking at the Alabama schedule. There were six teams uh, that came within 14 points of Alabama this year. That includes that 41-38 loss to Texas A&M at the uh, that game-winning field goal that led to the IE storming the field down there at College Station. I'm going to go with Alabama here. It's hard to go against Bryce Young, who probably the Heisman perennial favorite right now on that team. And hard to go again. You know, we say it's hard to go up against Bill Belichick in the NFL. It's hard to go up against Nick Saban as well. So I'm going to take Alabama, although I would like this to be a closer game, hopefully a 10 or, or a, yeah, a 10 point game would be nice to see too. And everyone I'll take the over, I'll take the under on that game. All right. Actually the under the over under right now, 58. I'll go against the spread on that one. All right. The other game is Michigan and Georgia in that 2-3 matchup right now. Georgia, they're seven-and-a-half-point favorites more than a touchdown. And, A.J., who do you see for that game as of right now? I mean, Michigan has been so dominant at times this season, um, as evidenced by when they beat up on Ohio State, a really, really good Ohio State team, an Ohio State team that is in the top four teams in the country. Um, so the fact that they just destroyed them shows you how good they can be. But Georgia, aside from that Alabama game, has been like a league, like so far ahead of everyone else um, that I think I think this is a, an amazing matchup because if, if Michigan plays up to their potential, and Georgia plays up to their potential. Um, it could be, it could be, his, it could be historic. Could they? Could Michigan cover a seven and a half point spread? Absolutely. But um, given everything that's happened so far this season, given the fact that Michigan hasn't consistently been playing, um, you know, as uh, up to their potential every single week, whereas Georgia pretty much has, I will say. Uh, um, I'll, I'll, I think I'll go with Georgia just, just, just from consistency alone. And the fact that I think Georgia's best probably is better than Michigan's best. Mm-hmm. This college football uh, playoff semi is the capital one orange bowl in Miami at hard rock stadium. Kyle, who do you see uh, taking this game between uh, the Bulldogs and the Wolverines? Yeah, I feel the same way. I think Michigan 
can definitely cover. Um, but like you said, Georgia, I mean, they've just been incredible all season. If they don't turn the ball over, they should win the game. I mean, you already know what Jim with um, Harbaugh is going to do. Um, pounding ground, a ground pound, that's what he's, you know, done throughout the season, you know, with Pascal, so, um, or Haskins, rather. So I think that it's going to be a game that really just comes down to what Georgia does defensively if they're able to stop the run. I think that's what Michigan has done recently, and that's why they've been so successful. Um, and then also, we, all, we already know about their defensive line. Obviously, Hutchinson's been incredible. Um, you know, maybe if they're able to put some pressure on Stetson Bennett, then um, they can cause some turnovers that way. But um, if all things go to plan, I think this is, you know, Georgia's game to lose. Like you said, I mean, they've just been dominant throughout the season, barring the Alabama game. So, I mean, um, maybe it's just a fluke. Maybe not, but I mean, uh, I, w- I would assume it is uh, that Alabama game because they just look so good throughout the season. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is the same though. This is going to be an all SEC for a national championship. You know, if we think about Georgia, how good that defense has been. You know, before that Alabama game, we were saying that this is a team that hardly gave up a touchdown on average. Uh, almost seven, only gave up almost seven points a game. So that's how good that defense is. Ben, and we know how good Michigan's defense has been, but it doesn't really compare to that Georgia level that we've seen all year. You know, obviously taking out Clemson to start off the year, which we thought Clemson was going to be a better team at the beginning of the year. And then, but you think about, I think this Alabama loss to for Georgia gives them motivation heading into this Orange Bowl, saying that, you know, we still have a chance to win a national championship despite losing to Alabama. You know, it's possibly one game left, possibly two games left. And, you know, I think the Georgia seniors, they want to go out on a high note, you know, understand that they have the opportunity to be a national champion um, for come January. Right. We're going to move on from college football to the pros. And when you think about uh, where we're at the season, it's week 14 of the NFL season and first game we're going to take a look at is Ravens and Browns a couple of AFC North teams squaring off Baker Mayfield keeping keeping his team in the hunt and uh Kyle when you think about this game uh, what are your expectations this game is hosted by the Browns yeah I think the Ravens take this game against Cleveland here and um I would say solely because I mean if all are you can't be happy the way that you know what happened um last Sunday against Pittsburgh and then the Browns just haven't looked the same I mean they just really haven't been able to establish the run too much and then Baker Mayfield just doesn't look like the first overall pick that we expected him to be and I, I think this game is a lot more um weight on it for Baltimore here just because you know, division league, um, Steelers obviously losing last night. That's big for them. But if they want to continue and, and get that number one seed in the AFC, they need to win this game. So I'll take Baltimore. Mm-hmm. AJ, you think about Baltimore coming off last week. You know, Kyle mentioned that game last week against the Steelers that came down to a two-point conversion that was just just an inch or a couple inches out of the hands of tight end Mark Andrews. But they're back here taking on the Browns. And what are your expectations this week for – this game. Well, 
the thing about the Ravens and the thing about Lamar Jackson in general is they always seem to bounce back. Um, like when something goes wrong, when something um, kind of distressing happens to them, they always seem to answer. And I think a lot of that has to do with Lamar. Um, and I think that will continue again, just because, and they've kind of had the Browns number um, and the Browns, like Kyle said, they, they just, it, it looks like something happened to them. Um, they aren't the same team as they were at the beginning of the season. Um, you know, obviously there's been some injuries. Obviously there were some issues with, with OBJ um, and, and Baker. It's, it's something's off. Um, so I, I would expect, well, given that it's an AFC North game, I would, I would, I don't know what to expect. Anything can happen. Um, it could be gritty. Um, it probably will be gritty. But at the end, like I said, I think the Ravens bounce back. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with Lamar Jackson. Mm-hmm. I'm going to agree with you. I think it's Lamar Jackson. We know his ability to run the ball. It's something that a lot of quarterbacks haven't done as much this year. I haven't seen Dak Prescott run the ball as much. Justin Herbert hasn't run the ball as much. And I think his legs, especially in that running back, how depleted that running back core has been with, you know, we think about, you know, the injuries that they faced at the beginning of the season that they haven't had all year. And I think that's going to be a huge key in terms of how much Lamar Jackson's going to run the ball and how much he finds his receivers, Sammy Watkins, how much he refines Hollywood Brown, Mark Andrews. And that's going to be key. And I'm going to take the Ravens as well. All right. We're going to stay in the AFC North because the 49ers are hosting the Cincinnati Bengals. And Kyle, when you look at this game, it's practically East meets West practically. And Kyle, what do you see from this game? Man, I don't even know what to predict for this game. I mean, these are just really two, I feel like, evenly matched teams. And um, the records are pretty indicative of that. Um, I want to say – Cincinnati in this game I'm assuming they're favored I mean primarily because they're at home and um, the record as well but um, I do want to see San Francisco win this game I think that a big part of what they do is running the ball and Elijah Mitchell's been able to do that um, really effectively in the past few games I think his past three games he has 100 yards rushing in each of those I could be wrong about that but um, he's been doing well um, as long as Jimmy G doesn't turn the ball over, I mean, they'll be okay. And I think they should win because the defense has looked solid as well. They've got a couple more pieces back. I think uh, Fred Warner is coming back this week. So that's big for them. Um, and, I mean, what they're going to have to do is create turnovers on the other end. I mean, Joe Burrow at times has been susceptible to doing that. So um, I'll go with the Niners win on the road. It's a little bold, I guess I would say, but – um, I think they can get it done and kind of tighten things in the NFC West with the Rams. AJ, when you think about this game, uh, the uh, Bengals are seven and five. The Niners are six and six. A couple of playoff teams right now in that wild card in those wild card spots in both their conferences. What do you see from this game that possibly could determine the playoffs? Well, I mean, first off, the Niners are just so perpetually injured that it's it's hard to it's hard to know what you know it's hard to know what to think um even coming into this game Debo's hurt um I believe Elijah Mitchell is also banged up um and then the Bengals um on the other hand they just had a pretty bad game against the Chargers where they gave up a lot of points and Joe Burrow didn't play um well at all 
So kind of similar to what I was talking about with the Ravens, I think that, and especially because this is a home game, I feel like teams bounce back better at home. Um, because if, if they're on the road, they're facing all that extra pressure. They're already in kind of a bad place. Um, whereas if you kind of get to come home, um, um, you kind of get to, I, th I think it's just an easier way to write the ship. So given the 49ers injuries, given the fact that I still don't trust Jimmy Garoppolo, um, given the fact that I think Joe Burrow will, will bounce back and just the fact that they're healthier, their defense aside from last, their defense is better than how they, what they showed last week. And that's another indicator to me that um, they're going to, you know, you take it personally when you get beat up like that. And if you're actually good defense, which I believe the Bengals, you know, are, um, they're, uh, I think, I think they'll bounce back and I, th I think they'll have enough to beat the 49ers and um, it'll be an upset because I believe that they are home, uh, home dogs. So I think it's just, oh, wow. I think, I think a lot of things are, are going the Bengals way, but again, with the 49ers come in fully healthy, then um, who knows? Uh, who knows what could happen? They could obviously easily win this game as well. Like Kyle said, they're very, very closely matched. Mm -hmm. Right now, the Niners are one and a half point favorites over the Bengals, and I think the only question surrounding the Bengals is obviously the turnovers. We saw those turnovers. I think the pass that Jamar Chase that could have been a touchdown turns into an interception. But I think it's you know the turnovers for them, and I think it's the health of. Joe Mixon and how well he's been able to run the ball this year. He's right now, he didn't practice yesterday, and I don't think he practiced yesterday, uh, Wednesday, because of a non-COVID-19 illness. So that's going to be something to watch for uh, in that game. You mentioned Debo Samuel, AJ. He's hurt with that groin injury that he suffered a couple weeks ago. So that'd be, I think those two injuries are going to be factors to see, especially in both teams' running game compared to <laughs> the Niners receiving game for Debo Samuel, but those two things are going to be key and key to watch. So I'm going to ultimately take the Bengals. Um, you know, we see Joe Burrow, what he's been able to do. Games like this is going to test him, you know, in his second year in the NFL as he tries to, you know, get his team to the playoffs, get his team to the wild card with that young receiving card with, you know, as I mentioned, Chase, you think about T Higgins, you know, think about CJ Uzama as well at tight end. So it's going to be a huge factor and, I feel like the Bengals had the opportunity to control that uh, now. All right, third game we're going to get to. We got one more after this. We're going to talk about the other Sunday Sunday afternoon game on the West Coast, the 125. Also, the Bills go to Tampa Bay to take on the Bucks. They go from the blustery winds to some nice Florida weather. And uh, Josh Allen and the Bills looking to avenge the loss to the Patriots after uh, a 14-10 loss. And, some God, horrible conditions um, on Monday night. And Kyle, what do you expect uh, for this game? I don't know what to expect. I think it's going to come down to who plays better defensively because we all know how good um, both of these offenses are. Um, quarterbacks at each end, obviously. Um, but I, I think the Bucks have, you know, the – edge here in this game just because they're riding a three-game win streak right now they're going back home to play and um i, I think they have a better uh, rushing attack as well Leonard Fournette, he's looked really good past few games and he's been scoring touchdowns i think that's all that matters um i think a big part of that is their o-line and this will, this will be a really good matchup too because the bills defensive line is among the best in the league um in terms of talent i think by far so um i think that's what's going to be important who, who wins in the trenches i think on both ends um, 
and it's tough to call because the Bills have looked good at times this season, and obviously that last game was. I mean, I don't know how you recover from something like that, but um, I'll just take the Bucks. I think they seem to be the better team here. It's Tom Brady's trying to go after another division title at December, and AJ, who do you see taking this one down in Florida? I mean, you have to go with the Bucks. Um, Tom Brady has owned the Bills in his career. I remember Aaron Rodgers had his had his had his thing with Chicago. I own you. Well, Tom Brady owns the Buffalo Bills. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe his overall record, he's, he's something like 30 and three, 32 and three um, against the Bills. Obviously, he played them a lot when he was on the Patriots. So he owns this team. Um, and the Buccaneers are also firing on all cylinders um, on offense. They have, they've just been putting up point after point after point. Um, and they do that even more when they're at home, which, again, they're going to be playing this week. And the Bills, I mean, the Bills have looked really good this season. But the Bills have also looked at their best when they're playing teams that can't really score. And that's the opposite. A lot of that has to do with the Buffalo defense, but the Bucs are not a team that can't score. And they're definitely not a team that can't score right now. So, I mean, I mean, the Bills are they're still a good team. The Bills, any anything could happen, they could definitely win. But this is this is the Bucs game to lose. And I, I certainly would not bet against them um, at you know at this point, given everything we've seen the last the last couple of weeks and uh, just, you know, the way everything's trending, it, this just seems like an easy, an easy win almost for, for the Buccaneers. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take the Buccaneers as well, who are three and a half point favorites. And these are probably two teams that we thought are Super Bowl contenders, um, especially heading into the year. We saw Josh Allen and the Bills make the AFC championship last year, lose to Kansas City. And you think about, that that team, that Bills team, the, the defense, with, even without Tredavis White, they're still having some success. And I think the defense is going to be okay. I feel like, though, with the Tom Brady and the Bucks, you know, Kyle mentioned that three-game winning streak that they've been on, beating the Falcons last week. Tom Brady had four touchdown passes, and none went to Godwin, none went to Evans. It was Fournette, it was Bright, it was Gronk. And, you know, it's uh, that using all those pieces to – move the ball downfield, move the ball into the end zone. And I feel like that's going to be huge heading into this week. And that running game too, between both sides is I think a, another big factor, you know, it's, I mean, Matt Breed is running the football in Buffalo, which probably wouldn't have thought uh, beginning of the year with Zach Moss and Devin Singletary de- debate, really having that de- uh, neck and neck debate of who's going to run that ball. And Matt Breed is pretty much immersed uh, over both of them so I think those couple of things will be the key it's you know who does Tom Brady find um, and when's not a factor because he'll find he'll find anyone but it's the running game too you know we mentioned the running game with Leonard Fournette Ronald Jones not as much but Ronald Jones will still be an, an asset in that running game so I'm going to take the Bucks as this one as well um, here in this Sunday 125 Game. All right. Final game we're going to get to of week 14. It's Rams and Cardinals, the final game on the, the schedule slate this week. Uh, this game is in Arizona. DeAndre Hopkins, you think about Kyler Murray, both who returned last week, both connected on the two connected on a, I think it was a 25 yard touchdown pass at the front corner of the end zone on the right side and route to a win. And AJ, who do you see taking this one? 
Well, I mean, I think you have to give the edge to the Cardinals at this point. Um, they've obviously just been dominant all season, and the Rams have, while dominant at times, have also shown that they are susceptible to having a letdown. Um, but I think it's going to be a really good game. I think it's going to be a really exciting game. I think the fact that, you know, it's a these these two – I mean, this is a huge game for the division itself, so it's almost like a playoff game in a sense because – in fact, it kind of is a playoff game because if, if Arizona wins, they they take a pretty commanding, um, they're, they're going to take a pretty commanding lead over over um, the Rams and almost kind of secure themselves the division. Um, so I mean, yeah, I'm not going to bet against Kyler right now. I'm not going to bet against um, John Deere Hopkins um, ever, really. But uh, I mean, the Rams are also a great team. The Rams could easily win this game with everything I just said, um, but they could also maybe get blown out in this game as well. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens, but uh, I think, I think I have to favor the Cardinals um, at this point. The Cardinals, they are a team that is playing at home for the first time in about a month after two road, after um, two road games and a bye. Um, Kyle, what do you expect um, in Arizona on Monday night? Yeah, it should be Arizona's game to win here. I mean, we've seen the Rams struggle a little bit recently and, um, I think a game against Jacksonville is a good way to kind of uh, put that to the side really quick. But here you are again facing a 10-2 team in Arizona. So, um, yeah, I mean, playing at, playing in Glendale, I, I think it's really tough to bet against Arizona here. Um, the weapons they have, we already talked about. And I think it's going to be really important for their defense to step up and have a big game. Isaiah Simmons, I mean, Chandler Jones is going to put a lot of pressure on Matt Stafford. And I think Stafford's been ailing in recent weeks, too. So, I mean, that's another big part of it. Um, he's played hurt throughout his career. But um, if you're able to kind of add on to that and, and be physical and get up in his face throughout the game, that's even more detrimental. So, yeah, it, it's tough to bet against um, the Cardinals in this game. So, I'll take them. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take the Cardinals as well. I feel like they're going to be able to stop you know, Daryl Henderson, if he's healthy, or Sonny Michelle, I feel like he'll be able to stop um, Cooper Cup enough, stop Van Jefferson um, in that offense. We see, you know, when the Rams have played good teams in prime time, we saw, you know, that 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 ugly Titans loss uh, a couple weeks, you know, on Sunday night, about a month ago, when Matthew Stafford threw two interceptions in a span of like five minutes, and it's another prime time game for the Rams, and it's all about can they step up and can they make and can they make a presence and possibly still go after the division with down two games with five weeks, five games to play. And I think if the Rams can do that, there's the opportunities there, but I highly doubt that. Um, I'm going to go with the Cardinals in a three way sweep. All right, we are going to move on. Those are four games that we're going to that we talked about this week, the Ravens and the Browns, the Niners and the Bengals, the Bills and the Bucks, the Rams and the Cardinals. We're going to move on, continuing talking about NFL. And last week we talked about our picks for NFL Coach of the Year. Uh, Kyle, you said um, uh, um, Kiff Klingsbury. I said Matt LaFleur, a couple of NFC coaches. Now we're going to do NFL MVP and it's, kind of up in the air of who we have for NFL MVP and Kyle or AJ, whoever you have an idea of first, go ahead and uh, floor is yours. Go for it, AJ. Um, 
I mean, right now, I mean, I would obviously give it to, to Kyler Murray, but there's a lot of people you could give it to. Um, Josh Allen was, you know, looking like it was his to lose earlier on, but the way the Bills have been playing lately, um, I think, you know, his, his star has kind of uh, lost a little bit of shine. Tom Brady, could he win the MVP? Um, obviously, will they give it to him? Maybe. I don't know. Does he need more awards? I feel like I feel like they have to, they have to think about that. Um, Aaron Rodgers, I mean, I think what happened with him and the COVID thing just made it weird. Um, not even not even giving any opinion on it. I think just the the general thing just made it weird. And I, I and going back to the Hall, Hall of Fame thing, like it matters. Like stuff like that matters. When you're voting for someone to win an award or to get into something, you don't just look at their on-field play, whether that's fair or not. So I, I don't I don't see Rogers getting it. Um, I think I think it could be Kyler. I think if I had to bet. Given their record, given how good he's played, given the fact that again, I don't think Tom Brady needs any more awards, um, I, I, I would I would go with Kyler Murray at this point. Kyle, huh? yeah, it's tough to call. I mean, because it's been such a weird year, we have so much football left to be played and so much to determine. I think it's going to come down to the last week of the season too, but. Um, yeah, I would probably say Kyler Murray at this point as well. His leadership has been great. You've seen him improve throughout the years, and here we are. Um, they're 10 and 2, and they're looking like the favorite to win the West right now. Um, and yeah, I mean, you said it, Aaron Rodgers is up there, Tom Brady. Um, I, I think he's, you know, easily one of those top two guys to get it, Tom Brady at this point. Um, I would like to see Jonathan Taylor win it. I know he's not going to, but. Um, he's kind of a dark horse and he, he's been a stud as of late. He has some really good weeks. Um, so I, I would really like to see him get it, but right now he's plus 1500 odds. Um, Brady's the favorite at plus 150. That's kind of surprising to me. That seems, um, really close to, um, what he should, what he should be at this point, just because, I mean, we have so much football left, like I said, and, and it's Josh Allen plus 450 Rogers plus 650. Kyler plus 800 so I don't know if I'm putting money on I'm, I'm thinking probably Kyler Murray but um, I think it's either going to be him Brady and depending on how the rest of the season goes obviously I really would like to see Jonathan Taylor kind of make a push for it just because you know it's a quarterback's award so it would be awesome to see him you know kind of continue his success. Mm -hmm. The last running back to win an MVP was Adrian Peterson in 2012. So that's how long, almost 10 years, 10 straight years, a quarterback has won an MVP. Aaron Rodgers, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes. You got Brady at 39 years old winning, or yeah, 39 years old winning that award in 2017. Matt Ryan was an MVP. Cam Newton, uh, Aaron Rodgers again in 2014. Peyton Manning. Um, yeah, and then you got Adrian Peterson. So that is the list of MVPs before um, Adrian Peterson went in 2012. It's hard to go against Tom Brady. I mean, but I think he has enough MVPs. Got one, two, uh, three MVPs already. Four, three MVPs. <laughs> I think that's enough. Yeah. But you think about what. Tom Brady's been able to do, even at his age, to stay that healthy. Um, you know, he's um, 
fighting with Derek Carr for the most passing yards in the NFL this year. Her, obviously, over 35 touchdown passes or whatever it is now. Um, and it's, you know, huge to see. But I, I like Jonathan Taylor and what he's been able to do in Barge, especially with Derek Henry not um, – with him being sidelined. I think that's key. Um, and I think – out of all the running backs of who's the favorite, I think Jonathan Taylor is the favorite, but it's hard to go against, you know. Um, the thing with Kyler Murray is he, I think, I feel like Kyler Murray hasn't played enough games compared to a Jonathan Taylor, and I feel like that's going to hurt his case. So I feel like Jonathan Taylor has the opportunity, obviously Tom Brady, and I feel like even Lamar Jackson has that opportunity. If these five games the rest of the year can go his way, he has the opportunity to make that case yeah. as well. So. Those are my top three between Brady, Jonathan Taylor, and Lamar Jackson. It's also uh, the final week of the, for most people, the final week of the regular season for the fantasy, for fantasy football. And AJ, do you play fantasy football? Um, not well. Okay. <laughs> okay, just like Aaron. <laughs> uh but yeah, yeah I've had, I've had a rough, rough season. I, I took a, I took Saquon Barkley with my first overall pick. So it sums it up. <laughs> still love him. Still, still love Saquon. <laughs> he, he hasn't, he hasn't had a number one pick uh, season. Yeah. yeah I, mm-hmm. um, my method of creating chaos is kind of paying off right now. It is. I'm glad I'm able to do. I'm I'm glad I'm able to do um, what I said I would do. I don't I don't know why that didn't you know happen at the beginning part of the season <laughs> when I was making the playoffs in our league, Brevin. But you know here we are, and coming off a uh, win two weeks ago, didn't win last week, but uh, I'm playing you this week, uh, Brevin. Yep. Here, mm-hmm. starting the year how we finished. That'll be something. Finishing the year how we started. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then I'm in the league with AJ as well, and I mean it's a big week for me because I'm at eight and five, um, first in my division, but it's really close. Um, but right now I have basically a 46 point lead because I had Najee and I had Justin Jefferson last night, so big time heading into mm-hmm. the weekend, no doubt. Mm-hmm. AJ, if you had to guess who my fantasy quarterback was in our league that we have, who would you guess who would be? Um, I don't know. Are you doing well? Yeah, seven and six. Just need a – with an 80-point edge in that points forward, need to get a win into the playoffs. Um, gosh, who would be your quarterback? I don't know. You're, uh, you're covering the Raiders, maybe Derek Carr? <laughs> no. It's uh I'm um, Brady? Yeah. <laughs> I even won a fantasy championship not, not last not year with Tom Brady. Guy. He's a yeah. he's a winner. <laughs> yeah, not a flashy guy like Lamar or Tyler or something nope. who can get you like rushing yards or whatever it is. This dude's just riding with Tom Brady after <laughs> fantasy and ends up in the in the championship. <laughs> Pretty, pretty easy formula. Seventh round pick, Tom Brady. Still available. All right. Yeah. No one ever thinks to draft Tom Brady anymore. No. I mean, look at you. 
Yeah, but it's off. Uh huh. So it should be another exciting week um, of fantasy football. Um, Kyle will uh, in week one when we played. Let me see if I can pull up that score. Kyle won week one. Uh, <laughs> he won 120 to 112. So an eight point win in week one. So we get the rematch now. 13 weeks later, Tom Brady. Uh, Aaron Jones and Joe Mixon, the running back spot. Stephon Diggs and Tyreek Hill. Dawson Knox at tight end. Eliza Moore right now at my flex with the Green Bay defense. I'm taking the Green Bay defense over the Buffalo defense this week. Uh, and Harrison Butker kicking. That is the lineup right now. Yeah, it's definitely a big week for fantasy. And, um, now more than ever, if you're close to the playoffs, and I, I guarantee you there's going to be a lot of people on Twitter this weekend, you know, pointing fingers at some players or sending yep. threats to them or whatever. Because <laughs> the game. You know how it goes. It's an it's a annual thing on the Twitterverse. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. So those are the but Yeah, that... I mean, that's coming. Yeah, Sorry, that's, that's coming to an end. Mm-hmm. Um, fantasy here soon, at least the regular season. So, a lot of uh, you know preparation to do with playoffs coming up, and then you know a season that recently kind of got started, um, just about a third of the way through is the NBA. And Brevin, I mean, we are looking at a legendary moment that is basically pending at this point. Mm-hmm. All that we're playing against is time. And Steph Curry is nine three-pointers away from tying uh, Ray Allen's all, all uh, NBA career record of three-pointers. Needs 10 to break that record. And Steph Curry, he's got he's 38 games with nine three-pointers. I think the second next best, I think, is nine. And that's how good Steph Curry's been at shooting the three-ball and he gets the next opportunity to break that record. It's tomorrow against Philadelphia 76ers and his brother, Seth Curry. So family affair um, tomorrow against the 76ers. Seth looks up, goes, tries to make history. He's already made history in the past. Think about that unanimous MVP, the first unanimous MVP on NBA history. And you think about was also part of a, back-to-back NBA seasons in 2015-2016. You think about others who have gone back-to-back. LeBron's done it twice. Steve Nash, Tim Duncan, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird went back-to-back-to-back. Moses Malone, Kareem went back-to-back twice, 1971-1972 and 76-77. Wilt Chamberlain and Bill Russell, they each went back-to-back-to-back. So, those are the full list of back-to-back MVPs. And it's just adding another piece of history for Steph Curry. We think about how much he's grown the game in terms of three-point shooting. The, God, it's unheard of to see what he's been able to do. I think that just 30 years ago that teams were taking five threes a game. Now they're that's all teams are taking is three-point shots now. Yeah, I mean, we all know he changed basketball into what it is today and what he's been able to do. Um, I thought it was really interesting because he looked like he was trying to go for that record at home because he said in the past, you know, he wants to break a three-point record at home. So, uh, you know, beginning of the game, 
I think um, the other night he started off like over five from three or something. He was kind of like chucking them up, but um, he'll, he'll get there. I mean, 10 is definitely doable tomorrow against the Sixers. I mean, that team, especially because the Sixers have them sh- have some shooters themselves, so they can definitely make it competitive. Um, if he was able to get to 10 somehow, I mean, but um, you know, I- I'm anticipating I'm going to break that record um, at some point um, next week, probably Monday or Tuesday, obviously they play at the garden at some point. So that could be a nice place for him to get that done. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't need to say anything else about Steph Curry, what he's been able to do this season, carrying that Warriors team. Um, it'll be great to have, you know, Clay back, obviously, and James Wiseman. We've already talked about that here on this podcast, but um, definitely excited to see him break the record because he's the GOAT and, um, you know, best shooter of all time. There's no doubt about it. AJ, I mean, what's it been like watching Steph Curry so far this year? I mean, it's been really fun, but it's always really fun watching Steph Curry play yeah. basketball uh, since since the beginning of forever. And But now I think it's gotten to the point where you're watching a Hall of Famer playing like at, at a Hall of Fame level. And KD, KD said this in a, in, a, in a press conference earlier this year that you're just not watching this guy play at like an all-star level, at a superstar level, at MVP level. Every night you get to watch this guy play at a Hall of Fame level because he can just do things other people can't do. And I think that this, um, like him getting this record is so, I mean, because obviously everyone knew it was going to happen. It's been a long time coming, but it's so impactful because it like solidifies what we already know. Mm-hmm. This guy is the best shooter of all time, exactly like you said. Um, and we're kind of like, like we're, we are, we're lucky that we got to see, that we got to be part of the era where we got to see, you know, the greatest, you know, the greatest shooter, certainly the greatest three-point shooter of all time. Um, yeah. play basketball so it's been really fun um, but it, it's always been it's always been fun with with Steph Curry and in terms of breaking the record against Philly it's possible could he get yeah. three pointers in the game for sure would it be a great storyline yes especially because he'd be doing it on the same floor as his brother Seth mm-hmm. who, who himself has stepped up his game so much like pe- people don't talk about it and maybe you know people do but um but he has become such a good player, like yeah. in his own right. He's one of the best shooters in the NBA. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and uh, and and yet his star is obviously still so much, you know, not as not as bright as as Steph. But if if, if he's able to do it on that same court, and, and you know that they're going to be going back and forth because you know that Seth is yeah, going to no. want to put up three. You know when mm-hmm. they play on the same court, it's there's a mini there's a mini game going on between the two of them. So if anything, I think that makes it more likely he'll get ten. But at the end of the day, that's still a lot to ask. So I, I would I would assume just like you that he's going to get it. Um, maybe you know the game after. But uh, it'd be it'd be fun to see him him do it uh, on the same court as Seth and uh, and just to hit ten in the game. It would just be it'd be perfect. And when yeah. with Seth, you, when, when you you can't count out that he's going to you know make this incredible storyline happen. So if anyone can do it, it would be him. Mm-hmm. Not, not to not to gut too much, but. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, he's a he's 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 one of a kind i'm pretty sure i heard this somewhere in all the games the two brothers have scored off between steph and seth steph has in every single one of the game has outscored seth so just to give you some perspective how much he scored and it was even close when i think it was earlier in the year when these two teams faced off it was like 23 to 20 or something like that um 
earlier in the year when these two teams played. But Steph Curry's next opportunity after the 76ers, if he doesn't reach 10, to play the Pacers on Monday, followed by the Knicks in the Garden um, on Tuesday. So three-game lookout, and especially for Steph Curry, I think he averages around five threes per game here in the 2021-2022 season. So over within the next three games, be on the lookout for Steph to break that record. It's something we'll go over. And Steph's one of the bigger so that's one of the major storylines this year in the NBA. We're about 30% of the year. And Kyle, when you look at the NBA season as a whole, what have, what have you seen so far? Yeah, it's definitely been a pretty interesting season up to this point. I mean, we've seen um, already even, you know, a lot of change in each conference, I would say, at the um, ends of teams that we – you know, we're really looking out for, I, I think it, it's the Lakers, obviously, on one end. Um, they haven't had the success they've wanted, and they're at 500 right now. Um, so improvements to be made there. they got to build some chemistry. But, man, the Grizzlies have looked really good. I, I think that they've been um, a sleeper team, I mean, just throughout just early stages of the season. And, um, you know, no John Moran playing right now, but, I mean, they crushed the Lakers last night, for example. Um, they got some really good guys on their team, Desmond Bain, Jared Jackson Jr., who are – necessarily household names but I mean they're really good scorers and, and they're showing it every night so that's important for them and then in the east I guess I would say two surprising teams have been um, Washington they're right now fifth at 15-11 record and then also Chicago maybe not so much Chicago surprising but they are in second place right now in the east and they have a better record than Milwaukee so that's pretty notable um, I mean, just so much talent on that team. DeMar DeRozan has really stepped up this game. He seems to be getting better with age, which is crazy to me. Um, San Antonio didn't experience the best success, but um, obviously one of the better shooters in this league as well from mid-range. Um, and he's been, you know, really chalking it up well with Lonzo Ball and, and Zach Levine and Vucevic. I mean, they just have a really solid roster, good depth on that team, and they've been surprising me too. So um, obviously the top dogs are – the Nets in the East and then the Warriors right now in the West and neck and neck with Phoenix. And um, honestly, I didn't really expect Phoenix to be 20 and four at this point, but I mean, they're just really building off the season they had last year when they made the finals too. Mm-hmm. AJ, what has surprised you so far through this 2021, 2022 NBA season? Um, well, I'm definitely surprised by the Suns, um, but not super surprised. Like, if you were to tell me, oh, they're going to be, I would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked because they showed last year how good they can be. And now they're showing that it wasn't a fluke. So it was always possible. Um, and good for them, honestly. They, they have a good team. They have a solid team and, uh, and they're, they're legit. So you got to hand it to them. Um, in terms of just overall surprisingness, and Kyle talked about the Bulls, the Bulls are stacked, Yeah. by the way. The Bulls are absolutely stacked. Adding Vukovic, um, who's quite po- he was one of the top three center in the league. Um, DeMar is playing out of his mind. Zach Levine is obviously a superstar. Um, um, getting, uh, getting Caruso has completely changed their defense. Um, they're, they're, that, that team is, is the team to beat, honestly. 
conference. Um, and I don't think that they get all the respect they necessarily deserve just because they are kind of a new group. And so you kind of have to prove that you can gel together. But um, even this early in the season, that team, I think, is only going to get better and better and better. And I wouldn't be surprised if they come out of the East um, at all. In terms of probably one of the biggest storylines in the NBA this season, obviously, it's always going to be the Lakers. Um, the fact that they added Russell Westbrook, um, you have that new big three, but they just haven't been very good. Um, LeBron seems like he's getting, um, you know, he's, he's not as good maybe as he's been in the past. He, he says he feels as young as he's ever felt. Um, but I mean, the results aren't necessarily there because he's, he's been on some bad teams in the past, but it just doesn't seem like he can necessarily carry this team. And Anthony Davis, he hasn't been living up to his potential. It's weird. It seems like he's getting worse somehow when he's supposed to be entering his prime. Um, Russ, I mean, I could see this being Russ's last season as a starter, quite frankly. Um, I mean, he's still Russ, but it just it it just isn't it just isn't working. And they just don't have they don't have the complementary players to kind of make up for the fact that the superstars themselves aren't being as you know as dominant as you know it was kind of expected them to be. Um, the rest of the conference. Um, how about the Rockets, by the way? You know, speaking speaking of team, to yeah. Team, the Rockets went from one and sixteen to eight and sixteen, um, which I think is. I mean, they have so much. They have so much young raw talent yeah. on that team. That's the difference between them and some of the other lower tier teams in the league. Is that the Rockets are they're going to be good? Like those players are good. Um, they're just raw. So it's really cool to see them win seven in a row to kind of you know, kind of show that, kind of show like how good, how good they can really be. So I think that is a fun storyline to kind of follow. Um, obviously, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs this year or anything like that, but I mean, that's kind of cool to see because everything else has been kind of standard, you know, top eight teams in the West, top eight teams in the East. There's really no surprises there. Um, I think one last thing I'd like to touch on, um, or two last things, I think, I think the Knicks are still the Knicks um, and it is what it is. They're going to be the Knicks. Um, <laughs> The Celtics, I think I think the Celtics, it's crazy because the Celtics are one of the most talented teams in the league in terms of players that they have, but they just can't seem to be as good as they can possibly be. They have Dennis Schroeder, who's still playing for that contract. Um, they have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, two of the biggest superstars in, the, in this league. Um, so the team should be better than 13 and 13, but for some reason, they just aren't. Um, I think one of the coolest storylines, this is the last thing I'll say, is LaMelo Ball and the Hornets. LaMelo Ball is a bona fide superstar in this league. He's only better. It seems like every single game he gets better. Um, this dude is for real. And I think you can expect the Hornets to be you know, a perennial playoff team. Um, I know they're only 14 and 13 right now. They're still young, they're still raw. But going forward, you know, he is, he's fun to watch and he's been one of the funner players to watch all season. Think about when I think about this, you know, thing teams that stand out. Obviously, the Warriors and the Suns. I don't think we we said they were going to be the first two teams to reach 20 wins this year. Um, I think another team that stands out that's a little bit lower in the standings are probably the Cavaliers and what Cleveland's been able to do. Jared Allen with Darius Garland, a couple of young guys as we mentioned, you know, with similar teams. You know, with Colin Sexton being that point guard, uh, with Evan Mobley and Ricky Rubio being that that sixth leading score on that Cavaliers team. And yet they're the sixth team in the 
in the Eastern Conference at 14 and 12 and just a game back of Washington, who we mentioned. I think, too, you think about under, you know, Utah is living up to what their expectations what they have with Rudy Gobert and um, Mitchell. And I feel like Denver, they had the opportunity 12 and 13, but they haven't just, we haven't seen it so far yet from them. We saw that. We saw that um, Jokic, he had, to get, he had to get that that triple-double that he had the other night to beat the Pelicans, um, to will that team to beat the to beat New Orleans the other night. And, like, the third – I think it's the third time it's, like, a 30-plus point triple-double with, like, Will and all these other Hall of Famers. And I feel like Denver's got a lot of more things that they can improve on. Um, being a 12-13, and 13, the same record as – or just right behind Dallas, same record as the Knicks. So a lot of things to look forward to um, this NBA season. A lot of games left to be played. Teams have played around 25, 26 games here um, so far. If I, All right. If I can add on to the to the Nuggets thing, I think it's not their fault. Like they're mm-hmm. missing their, their superstars. They're missing yep. Jamal Murray. Mm-hmm. They're missing MPJ. Like if you yep. have MPJ, Jamal Murray, and, and Nicola on the floor at the same time, that team has 17, 18 wins right now. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to know with the Nuggets, but it's also kind of unfair. And one last thing I forgot to mention in regard to the Bulls, Lonzo Ball has reinvented himself and is a perfect fit for that team. So yes. uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't want to leave that out. You see a shot transformation through the years. <laughs> oh yeah, no, he's he's a three point shooter now. I mean he's, I mean what does he take in like seven or eight at least every night? So that's really cool to see. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to move from the hardwood to the links because Tiger Woods he's making his comeback. He's starting his comeback. He's playing in next weekend's PNC Championships. It's a two person scramble team he's playing with the son charlie who's 12 these these two played a lot in last year's pnc championship and i think i'm pretty sure those two combined to shoot 20 under which was like was like sixth overall in that 20 team field and you think about 10 months after his that crash that he suffered um tiger gets to be back on the golf course playing in a tournament yeah, definitely cool to see. I mean, you, you talk about the accident that he was in and the recovery, and um, he posted, I, I think, a couple of weeks ago, you know, his swing and back out on the court. So it's good to see him out there. And I think, you know, he almost lost his leg in that accident. So that's obviously such a really big deal of um, just his livelihood in general. But, I mean, it, it'll be great to see him back out there um, doing what he does best. And, you know, like he said, he probably won't be, you know, the same Tiger ever again. I mean, especially considering his age and um, just the accident itself, what that did to him. But um, it'll definitely be great to see him back out there and with his son, too. That'll be a special moment. And, yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, nothing really on the line, Champions Tour kind of competition. But um, just in general, I think it'd be great to see him. AJ, what do you think? I mean, yeah, it's big. I remember when the Tiger thing happened and it was, I was actually listening to sports talk radio as it, as it happened. And it was, the world basically stopped, um, you know, what, you know, what, what happened with Tiger for, for a time, yeah. people didn't even know if he was alive. Um, there was a big sigh of relief once, you know, reports kind of came out that it was a leg injury. And so people kind of assumed at that point, like, oh, you know, this isn't something that could be life-threatening. 
but you know obviously it's been a long journey back um and to see him play honestly i'm more i'm just as i would almost say more but i'm just as excited to see uh, to see charlie play because because yeah. uh his swing looks good honestly like i could see charlie woods being a being a being in the pga tour uh somewhere somewhere down the line i mean he definitely has the the pedigree to say the least so no it's gonna be really fun i think everyone's really excited everyone that's a, a golf fan and a tiger fan is excited to kind of see him back out there especially playing with with the, you know his kid yeah i'll definitely be interested to see what happens with you know his future because you know like i mentioned before he's kind of stepping away a little bit he'll only you know compete in the bigger events where he can um but i mean do you think that's right for him at this point in his career just in general i mean with you know the accident that happened i mean i think it just comes down to what he's able to do um yeah. physically you know with his leg i mean no one knows how bad his leg re- injury really is except for him and his doctors yeah. um and so if he says he can't he's gonna he loves golf he likes playing golf um he's gonna play at the level that he believes he can play um and I think at this point, he doesn't have anything left to prove. And I think at this point, yeah. he's, I think he's not only so lucky to be alive, but everyone else is just so grateful that he's alive, that mm-hmm. any more golf that he wants to give and any more golf that he wants to play can be on his terms at this point. Um, it's, yeah. just good to, it's just good to see him there with his son. And I, I think that's what makes it even sweeter is that, because that's what they were talking. This isn't just, you know, had he had, had the crash gone worse, it wasn't just we're losing this golf you know, the golf, you know, the golfer, you know, you're losing the, the father, you know, yeah. and so it, it, him being out there with Charlie kind of brings it full circle, like, and kind of even puts in more perspective, you know, what was really important kind of the whole time or most important. Yeah, most definitely. And Brevin, I mean, you, you see this coming up here this weekend. What are you looking forward to seeing um, with Tiger and Charlie? Yeah, I think it's, in Tiger's case, I think it's that first step of trying to come back. It's I think he's been hinting, people have been hinting that he wants to come back for the Masters in April for despite how undulated and how hilly that course is at Augusta, whether it's... But I think the only thing that Tiger wants to achieve, I think, the rest of his golf career, his PGA Tour career, is getting that 83rd win because right now he's been tied with Sam I think it's Sam Snead with 82 career PGA Tour wins I think that's the only thing left that he wants to accomplish right now um, in his golf career but you look at the opportunity that he gets to have next weekend with his son it's I think it's the same the same gratitude that he had last year but on a higher scale because of the crash I think being able to play golf and for how good he's been but be able to play golf and then, but to do it with his son, who's was ripping the ball last year, um, he gets to do it again here, uh, you know, next weekend with his son, Charlie, who's 12 years old. He could, you know, mention he can rip the ball. He ripped a, I think it was a three wood or a five wood last year, it was 170, and he got it to within 11 feet of the hole and made the putt for Eagle. And that's how good Charlie's been so far early on. And I think, I think I've heard he's, Charlie's even won a couple of junior tournaments already so far. And what he's been able to do has been so um, beneficial to him, to his family for what Charlie's done. And you think about too, with those two playing, Charlie's going to have um, closer tees because of 
how far I can hit the ball, things like that. So that's going to give advantage to Tiger and Charlie um, next weekend in the PNC Championships. Yeah, it'll definitely be a really good moment um, when they compete together again, be fun to watch and uh, see how they do as well, um, where they finish. Um, but yeah, that'll just about do it for this week's episode here. AJ, thank you so much again for joining us. Um, appreciate having you on. And any final word from you? Um, no, thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Um, I enjoyed a, I enjoyed talking to you guys. Um, it's it's always good to, to catch up, and it's always good to talk to talk sports. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you reaching out and wanting to be on. Um, definitely love it when uh, you have people reach out to us uh, like that. So appreciate it. And um, yeah, that'll do it here today. Thank you again, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week to get into um, some more NFL um, college football playoff. It's, it's bull season, so we'll definitely preview that as well. Um, but that'll do it for this week's show. Um, for Brevin Honda, I am Kyle Betts, and that'll do it for this week's episode of Down the Line. We'll catch you next week.